Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Dr. Wicknell. Howdy. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I have quite a few clients um, that, that have dealt with some difficult loss in their life. So, so grief comes up quite a bit in our therapy. Um, and there's a, lot of, there, there's a lot to talk about with grief. Um, but one of the main things that kind of comes to, to, into these conversations a lot is, am I grieving right? Mm. Am, I, am I grieving in a way that's healthy? Or you get a lot of comments like, you know, I, I lost someone a year ago and I never really grieved very well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you kind of talk about grief with your clients and whether they're doing it right or not? Yeah, and what I does that even I mean? I think it's interesting this whole idea of grieving right. And yeah, in one way, I think it's a it's a it's a good thing in a sense because it's it's the result of culturally us being more mindful of grief is like a natural healthy thing, and it's to some extent it should be validated and encouraged and um, Ooh, you know even talked about. Before you go on there, mm-hmm. elaborate on how grief can be a healthy thing. What do you mean by that? Grief sucks. Well, there's grief well, is a painful process. So so is running on a treadmill. <laughs> I mean, a lot of healthy things are painful. Very good, right? Yeah, but elaborate <laughs> on that because I think a lot of people initially, when grief sets in, they want to they don't want to feel it, right? Sure. Everybody's kind of motivated to like, oh, this is awful. Well, I think that's the that's the kind of cultural movement is that we we've, we've realized that you know psychologically, sort of sweeping stuff under the rug especially big stuff mm-hmm. just doesn't work out so well right you know you, you can't avoid major events like that in right. your life you know mm-hmm. little tiny things yeah sure you can kind of ignore and it probably won't be a big deal but um when you when you lose a spouse or when you know someone close to you passes away yeah like that that is going to have enormous emotional repercussions not bad or good it's just big it's, it's normal when an earthquake happens like stuff gets shaken up. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I, that's what I mean when I say, I think, I think it's, um, it's good in general that people are thinking about not just thinking about grief, but about that there are probably, there are certainly not good ways to grieve, which is just ignore it. Mm. <laughs> right. We, we kind of know that much. Try to just numb everything out. Yeah. But when yeah. you say, well, it's bad to ignore grief, what that kind of implies for people is, well, if there's a bad way, there must be a good way. Mm. So then, then you get into this mindset of sort of, it's an easy jump to make to there is a one right way to grieve. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I hope I'm doing it right. You get this anxiety, this like self-improvement anxiety, kind right. of like there's this, I've got to do this Should I feel the this right way? way. Yeah. Am I feeling this right? Yeah. So that's why I think overall it's good that people are thinking more about grief and, and about about choosing to grieve. Like mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. all good. Or being um, mindful at least of the, the yeah, grief. Yeah, not just sweeping it yeah. under the rug. Um, but it's easy to get, um, I, I think it's also, it's unhealthy to, or it's problematic to get into too much into this mindset of there's one right way to grieve mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and yeah, I think that just introduces a whole other set of problems, but yeah. Um, so that, sorry, that was kind of a long winded, um, preface, but I think it's important that the kind of cultural take on grief. Um, but I, I, I almost always skirt trying to answer that I avoid trying to answer that question <laughs> what's the right way to grieve and I oh, I almost yeah. always what I do is 
I try to I try to model behaviorally what I want what I want to encourage them to do, which is don't think that there's some rule book out there that's going to tell you how to grieve the right way. Like, tell me about what's going on. Like, what happened? How are you feeling about it? Like, mm-hmm. what? So I, I just want to get them talking more about their loss, about how they're feeling, about what their thoughts are, maybe about how they're not feeling or how they're feeling about how they're feeling. Why is it that you want to get them talking about what they're going through? Because I think that's the opposite of avoiding. There you go. Good. Your grief is yeah. is approaching it, kind of investigating it, looking at it. Yeah. Um, Especially and, when I think someone's having some anxiety or worry about their grief, right? It's a, it's a good thing, I think, to start them talking about it because if they're worried about it, they're probably trying to suppress, they're probably trying not to talk about it, they're probably not looking at it and not from all the angles. Right. And so I agree with you. Getting them to kind of talk about it is a, is a good first step. And I, I used to, my kind of rookie move with this was to go right into explaining to people that there's no one way for everybody to grieve. There's lots of different ways to grieve. Here are how different types of people grieve. There's different timelines. You know, I, I kind of went on this spiel mm-hmm. tri- because I, I didn't want people to get stuck in that idea of there's a right way to do it. Right. But what I found is more powerful is instead of trying to tell someone this thing that I believe, I just want, I want to encourage them to literally go through, start going through the grieving process, which Mm -hmm. they can do with me. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is a much more powerful lesson takes place, which is they learn experientially, not from me telling them, but they learn, oh yeah, you know what? I I just spent 40 minutes in therapy talking about um, kind of the mixed emotions I have about my dad and what came up for me when he passed away and how I felt very sad. But I also felt kind of relieved because he'd been sick for a long time. And and then they learn, Oh yeah, you know what? I can actually kind of talk about this stuff and think about it. And it, it, you know, it hurts, but it's nothing terrible happens. I can start making more sense out of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. One of my, um, in grad school, my mentor was, was really into and, and focused on, what we call prolonged grief, which um, isn't isn't a, a diagnosis in the DSM yet, but it, it describes a um, a set of symptoms that that uh, where, where grief has gone on uh, for an extremely long amount of time, where it tends to be um, affecting the person's ability to function in their life, mm. um, and, and 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 some of the symptoms of prolonged grief are are um, noted by that dysfunction and that duration of grief and the intensity of grief. Um, but it's tricky because because grief isn't kind of a one-size-fits-all, everybody grieves for two and a half months and then you're done. Right. Um, grief is, I mean, when you lose someone who was a prominent figure in your life, some of the symptoms of grief just don't go away ever. Yeah, and that I think that's su- I mean that's maybe the one most important thing I think people miss about grief is that it is normal to feel sad, extremely sad mm-hmm. for long periods of time and miss that person yes. and want them to come back and remember things about them yep. and yep. it does not feel good. Nope, but it is completely natural. Feeling right. sad is not an illness. There's nothing pathological about and there's nothing path- pathological about feeling really sad when you've lost someone you really love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be more normal yeah. than that. Nothing, yeah. And it, yeah, it's really sad because there, there, there has been murmurings from even some big pharma companies that where they, they, 
are developing medications for grief. Drugs for grief. You know, and, and that, that to me is terrifying because now you're talking about medicating a really normal, natural, healthy human process. What do you think about this? It, it's been my experience that the, the people who seem to struggle the most in, a, in kind of this long-term prolonged way with grief, um, a very common theme for me that I observe in people um, like that is that they, they have a real problem with feeling sad. They think it's wrong mm-hmm. to feel sad or to feel a certain level of sadness yeah. or to feel sad for in certain situations or to feel sad for a certain amount. They, they re, they're really very combative with their own sort of feelings. And, and it seems to me like it's that combativeness with their own sadness that tends to perpetuate it yeah, longer than it normally would go on. Well, and you see this in the heart of depression and anxiety too. It's this, it's this war that you're, you're declaring on an emotion that in and of itself isn't a problem. Hmm. But once you go to war with an emotion, you're, you're probably going to lose <laughs> and that's going to be really devastating to you and frustrating and only amplify your depression or anxiety or grief, right? I mean, if you're grieving and you're constantly referencing, should I be feeling this way? Should I be acting this way? Should I, why am I acting? The, why do I feel this for so long? Why mm. do I feel this and this? I mean, you're already in grief. Yeah, You're already grieving. That's awful. And then you're going to add this another layer of judgment and frustration on top of it by wondering if you're doing it right. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the an, an odd kind of situation to be in because now you're declaring on war on things that you, you don't control and, and that are really normal and natural. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I think w- one of the big drivers of this that I have seen especially recently is comparison, social comparison. Mm-hmm. So just an example, I had a, I had a client who... She had a um, a miscarriage, a, a pretty late miscarriage. So it was really, um, it was just a really hard ordeal for her. Um, but she happened to have a friend who who had one at about the same time. Mm. And when she started coming in to see me, it was what had really kind of ramped up her distress was that she was watching her friend on social media apparently what it looked like was this friend was kind of moving on was seemed happy and Mm -hmm. was doing new things and was, you know, and my, my client was just still just as miserable, if not more unhappy than she was the day Mm -hmm. it happened. So then she starts saying, yeah, what's wrong with me? Like she's moved on. She's, you know, why can't I just get over this? And, and you just see that it, it creates this, this hostile relationship with yourself and with your own emotions, which right. is so poisonous. Right. Yeah. One of the things I tell my clients a lot is never make an enemy of your emotions or your thoughts. You will lose. You're not going to win that battle. And, 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 and how sad that this person is struggling through this and now has this comparative kind of process going on. And the result is I'm worse off than my friend. Yeah. Oh, that's so brutal. And then it's it's not just I'm gre- I'm sad about the loss, this loss, but it's there's something wrong with me that I'm this sad. Yeah. It's like double sadness now. Yeah. I've been sad right? too long or I'm I'm more intensely sad, yeah. so what is wrong with me? And 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 the answer to that right, there is no answer to that. And 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 the the answers that people start finding often are wild goose chases. Yeah. Well, the the problem is <laughs> if there's a problem, it's 
it's mistaking feeling bad for being bad. Mm. Because mm. I feel bad, something's wrong. Something's broken. Something's mm. off. Mm. I'm doing something wrong. Where right? do we get that from? Why is it that all of our, our all the emotions that are um, aversive to feel, right? They don't mm-hmm. feel good. Um, for example, joy feels great. Anger does, or um, sadness doesn't, right? Or, mm-hmm. or anxiety doesn't feel good. But we, we really want to tend to make an enemy out of those emotions and say, I don't ever want to feel them. I think part of it is, at least in our culture in the last, I don't know, maybe century, 50 years, in general, we've gotten really good at alleviating pain. Just just across the board. Physical pain, psychological physical, pain. Not just like medical, like, yeah, we have all, all sorts of pain relievers, like mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals that do an amazing job of taking away pain. Mm-hmm. But frankly, like, if, you, if you're an Amer- if, if you're a, you know, current day American, for the most part, um, you, like, it's a really luxurious life. Even mm-hmm. if you're, you know, even if you're middle class or something, compared to how people lived like 300 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The amount, the overall amount of kind of like, pain is a lot lower mm-hmm. and we get blasted with all this i mean kind of marketing that says whether it's the self-help industry or the pharmaceutical industry or whatever it is that like whatever pain you have there's a book there's a diet there's a pill there's a drug there's something that will just make it go away yeah well, and, and the implication is you should you should right yeah. it's not normal it's not healthy to be in pain right right so i think i think you're right i think, I think that's a, a big part of it anyway yeah well, I think just, I mean, there's a normal kind of um, desire to, to not feel the aversive. So I think there's a normal kind of reaction to pull away from pain. Um, but I think it's compounded a lot by um, a lot of these social norms that now kind of insinuate that you shouldn't ever feel bad. Or if you feel bad, something's wrong with you. Right. And, and maybe, that, maybe that's the mistake of thinking there's, there's only one function of pain. Mm-hmm. So like in the body, you have pain, you know, like when you touch a hot stove, you feel pain so that you will pull your hand back and not get burned. That's seriously. the whole point. That's yeah. the point. It's, so a it's very, very functional, very important, um, protective feature there of our, of our negative emotions right. to tell you something. Yeah. But just because in some situations pain functions to do something good, it doesn't mean that in other situations pain can't just be a side effect. Right. It does, pain doesn't always have to have a reason, right. I think is the big thing. Sometimes it does. It has a very specific reason, like mm-hmm. the hot the mm-hmm. hot stove and the fingertip thing. Um, but plenty of times, like, you, you experience pain it, just as a side effect of other things. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's not trying to do anything, right? But that, it, it doesn't mean something's wrong. No, no. In fact, if you're grieving, it means that you've lost someone you really cared about. That's all it means. Right, which and, is normal. Which is totally normal. And going through that process of grieving allows you to kind of to, to move through that loss and, and make new connections, new meanings. It's, it's a, a hard process. Um, going back to kind of getting this person to talk about their grief or getting someone to talk about their grief, it's a great way to kind of look for how is this person coping. Uh, we talked about mm-hmm. briefly prolonged grief where people are – um, they're, they're so impacted by their grief, they're not able to function. Um, and if you look at people who are, you know, how they're grieving and what function those behaviors have, it's really important. So someone who tends to have trouble sleeping at night because they're thinking about a loved one, pretty normal. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to be, that's gonna be a, a process of guilt. Someone who's drinking 
heavily before they go to sleep so that they don't think about their loved one there i would say well there's a there's a behavior there that's probably not going to be functional long term and isn't really allowing you to grieve probably properly mm-hmm. you're trying to numb out this emotion because it's unpleasant to feel but feeling that emotion is what you need in that yeah. moment yeah so i i actually think i don't i don't like the idea of grief as a specific as a thing like as a type of, a, as a specific emotion that is mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the sadness that comes from losing a person who's important to you. I think is how a lot of people think of grief. Right. Um, because I, I think grief is a, grief is a verb. It's something you do. Mm-hmm. I think the whole problem is thinking grief is a feeling that then has to be gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. I, I think grief is a, it's a process. Grieving is, yeah. Yeah, and it really, it's just the process of allowing yourself to be sad when someone really important has gone out of your life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, be, it's the willingness to be sad. Mm-hmm. Like literally, that's, and there's all sorts of ways that you can do that and that, that makes sense given your own history and your relationship with that person and which is why there's no playbook for it. There's no formula. There really isn't. And, and, and it's just one of those um emotional experiences that feels awful and there is no shortcut through it. There's, there's no, there's no bypass where you're like, Oh, I just don't have to feel anything in response to that loss. There we go. Because I did X, Y, and Z having that pain or having that reaction is what's required of you in that moment. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes people will mask that they'll, let's say they drink or let's say they just stay uber busy and they don't even, you know, they try not to think of it. That'll only prolong your prolong your grief. Mm-hmm. That, that'll kind of that'll probably set you up to grieve longer and, and maybe in more difficult ways. But you're gonna go through it one well, way or the other. It's arguably I think it's gonna make it worse because oh, when I, you definitely. When, when you avoid anytime you avoid anything, you're you're telling your brain this thing is dangerous and bad. Mm-hmm. If you, when you run away from things or when you attack things. Mm-hmm. What you're telling your your brain's threat detection system is watch out for this thing Can't in the handle future, that. Yeah. right? Yeah. So you're literally making it more intense the more you avoid it. Yeah, you keep reinforcing the idea that this is the scary monster you can't face, and and you do that enough, and eventually that monster becomes so big in your mind that it's going to be even more difficult right. to face. Yeah, and that's why you know I think immediately after you lose someone, it's always going to be really painful, oh, right? Brutal. Yeah, the grieving process. Mm-hmm. I don't know that grieving itself ever ends, right? You're always going to have memories and feelings about a loved one you've lost, right? Yep. The, yep. the question is, do you, how painful do you want it to be? Right. Right? It's inevitably going to be painful in the short term. It will probably always be somewhat painful, but the, the people who end up having really intense, long-lasting, unending grief, it's because, frankly, I, or I don't know if this is the only reason, but what I observe is it's because they're unwilling to, gr- to grieve, to feel that they're, they're trying to get rid of it or run away from it. Yeah. Or, 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 um, or they've altered their own behavior, um, in response, you know, they're, they're coping in ways that are just really unhealthy and will function again to kind of prolong that, that grief. Grief, grief's a, grief is brutal. When, when someone close to you passes away, um, it changes a little bit of your own identity. You know, it really does shift things. Um, for example, when a when a child passes away, 
the parent then um, is, is left with, man, I'm, I'm not a parent anymore. That's a whole identity, right? And all the friends that I had from my kids' soccer games or whatever, I'm not going to soccer games anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't see those people anymore. Yeah. So it changes the landscape of your life and, and your identity a lot. And, and, and you're going to grieve that. that. That will hurt. And the way to properly grieve in, in, in kind of a long in the long run is in a way that will allow you to establish a better identity or a new identity because of that loss, not better, sorry. Uh, but it'd be a, definitely a new identity because those things about your life will have changed. Yeah, that's a great point. And reacting to that change in your landscape, that's part of the grieving process. It's part of, you know, who am I now and how does this work? Or if a spouse dies, that's a huge identity shift, mm-hmm. huge. All the things you used to do together who, you know, you're no longer a partner, a wife or a husband or whatever that is. It is brutal to, to see that part of your identity go away and then to be left with that vacant spot in those, right. for those relationships, those activities, whatever that was. So, um, grieving in a healthy way can, can help to kind of, for you to reestablish an identity of reestablish relationships, reestablish activities and that, that essential identity. Mm-hmm. But it's a brutal process. Yeah, and ironically, I think it's it's much it's a much bigger and more complicated thing than people imagine. Very, very much. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of think the the idea most of us have in our heads of grief is, well, I'm going to feel really sad for about a month, mm-hmm. and then I should feel better and life should go on. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is bonkers. Yeah, right. Well, like I, it, I had a client. It's so come in. complicated. I had a client come in and, and tell me he had been depressed for three weeks. And I said, oh, wow, what happened three weeks ago? Well, my wife died. And I kind of looked at him like, and, but he, he really believed he should have been over it in two weeks. Wow. He, he, he thought, you know, I, I took two weeks off work. I'm still having a hard time. And, and, and he was kind of baffled by it. You know, it was really interesting wow. to coach him through what grief looked like because he really assumed two weeks of, of really feeling awful should do it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really, but again, that assumption made him think, well, because I'm still grieving, something's, yeah, something's wrong, wrong with me. Right. I'm not doing this right. So there's got to be something wrong. So whatever parameters you put around what you think your experience should be, yeah. be careful about that because you're going to judge yourself by those standards and by those parameters. This is a, like a, a final kind of thought I have on this is that I think one of our society or culture's problems with, with grief is that we make it increasingly we make it a very individual thing. It's a very lonely thing for a lot of people. Mm. And I think that is historically, that's so weird. Mm. Like for, I think the vast majority of our history as a species, probably you couldn't grieve alone, even if you wanted to. Yeah. It's a community. You you lived in a tiny little tribe or a little village and like people were, people were literally going to hear you crying at night. Yep. Right. Right So they were going to be at your front doorstep the next day. Yeah with a batch of cookies willing to kind of hang out and listen to you for hours. Right. <laughs> right. Like right. you, we are not meant to grieve alone. Truly. Like, I, I think that's just, there is an individual aspect of grief for sure. But the, I mean, yeah, grief is kind of a community project as well. Whatever your community is. Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.